0: What's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 17 of Sir Kevin Says. Thank you for joining. Today on episode 17, we feature Aaron Lindsay. This one is an amazing podcast for my personal life because Aaron was very influential in my upbringing when it came to gospel music. I didn't know how many projects, how many artists he worked with, and how important and pivotal he was to creating a sound. By that, I mean that working with Israel and New Breed, they created a sound that would completely change the landscape, I think, of contemporary gospel music. They pioneered this sound so much so that many artists have followed thus far and come to find out that a lot of these artists already knew Israel and Aaron on a personal level. When I was growing up, my first introduction to gospel music was Fred Hammond. Shortly after that, I started listening to Israel Holton and started to play his songs at the small Pentecostal church that I went to in Southgate, California. We would play Friend of God, Lord you are good. Again, I say Rejoice all these hit songs that the church would do for years and years and years until CCM really, really started to take over. Well, before all of that, these were the guys that I was listening to growing up. Now, a little bit about Aaron, so that way you guys kind of know who he is and what he's about. For over 20 years, Aaron Lindsay has shared his passion for music with people. As the son of a minister of music and choir director, Aaron Lindsay has always been surrounded by song. Through gifting and years of teaching, Aaron has become a well sought after musician, producer, and clinician in gospel and Christian music today. His most notable work to date is the RIAA gold-certified album, Thirsty, which he produced for Pastor Marvin Sapp. After an unprecedented 105 weeks in the Billboard Top 10, this project has broken numerous number one Billboard gospel and number one radio marks. The hit song Never Would Have Made It set a new record for the longest-running single in the history of the r and b charts. As a multiple-stellar Dove and Grammy Award winner and recipient of the 2005 Soul Train Gospel Album of the Year Award, Aaron's accomplishments have been acknowledged and respected among his peers and avid music listeners internationally. Writing and producing for artists such as Marvin Sapp, Israel Houghton, Byron Cage, Alvin Slaughter, Risen, Dana Cadell, CeCe Winans, Yolanda Adams, Martha Menizzi, Bishop T.D. Jakes, Disney's Allison Stoner, Fred Hammond, Mary Alessi, Micah Stampley, Lakewood Church featuring the Houston Symphony Orchestra, Joanne Rosario, Karen Clark Sheard, and Dwayne Woods to name a few. Aaron is a six-time Grammy Award winner. He won Grammys for Alive in South Africa with Israel and New Breed, A Deeper Level Israel and New Breed, The Power of One Israel Houghton, Love God, Love People Israel Houghton, for the gospel song No Greater Love by Smokey Norfolk, and also Alive in Asia Israel and New Breed. I learned so much from this podcast with Aaron, and I know you guys are going to also. He shared a lot of good information and a lot of wisdom, and that's one thing that I so much appreciate from Aaron for taking the time to do this. If you're listening via Spotify, I invite you to follow Sir Kevin Says. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can show your support by subscribing and rating the show five stars. Alternatively, you can watch the video version of this and every other episode on my YouTube channel, Kevin Michael Chong. Or visit my website, www.sirkevinchong.com and view or listen to them that way. So without further ado, episode number 17 with Aaron Lindsay. Welcome to episode number 17 of Sir Kevin Says. Today, I am with
1: Aaron Lindsey. What's up, man? Aaron, how you doing, brother? I'm really good. I'm really good. How was the drive over here, man? Woo! (laughs) It was a drive, Doc. But it was worth it, man. It's good to see you. What were you doing out in Temecula? So we had a songwriting retreat in Temecula. So the church that I serve at, we have a great, I mean, amazingly talented. It's almost embarrassing what the Lord has blessed us (laughs) with, you know, the talent. But uh, there's a a worship leader named, he's an artist as well, named Leon Timbo. He's an incredible senior worship leader. And uh, Tanya DeCure and Revelle Day, Markay Fairley. There's just like this amazing, all these people are experts in their field that we all kind of come together and serve the Lord at Fellowship Monrovia Mm -hmm. under our pastor, Pastor Albert Tate. And so we went down there to just kind of write some songs for an album and we were there for two days and man, we, in two days we wrote uh, 13 songs 13 songs completely well most of, them are, most of them are complete but some of them maybe have a bridge that it needs or maybe a second verse but like the essence of the song is yeah. there and I mean we literally flushed them out so it was <laughs> really good man we had a great time but I am you know, when i want to tell you that was a drive down <laughs> that was because I live in the other valley right, so, right, right. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's cool man it's great you know I, I wake up every day and I'm just blessed that I can do what I do yeah. you know because some people are driving two three hours to go work at a refinery right so the right. fact that the lord allows me to do what i love to do that i've been blessed to do that man i can't complain i'd yeah. rather be tired because i'm driving from doing what i love you uh-huh. know what i mean that's good That's yeah, good. that's what's up tell us a
0: little bit about your upbringing aaron where were you born uh when did you find out that music was your passion you
1: wanted to produce music and work with these artists tell us a little bit about that well i was born in ohio so i'm, I'm from a rural City outside of Cleveland called Illyria. Most people are like Illyria. Never heard of that. It sounds more like a disease than a city. <laughs> Got that Illyria? Doc, pray for me. Pray for me. But but no, it's a great. It's a small town. that had a lot of factories during the uh, auto industry, the boom, and the steel mill factories uh, right outside of Cleveland, Ohio, about thirty or so minutes outside of Cleveland. And I grew up there in a little Pentecostal church called Original Glorious Apostolic Church. My dad was a minister of music. My mom was a minister. She taught Sunday school and Bible class. And um, I grew up in a small denomination. And it was there where I came to find the Lord and learn music. And so a lot of people, um, you know, come up in church nowadays and we have bands that get Mm -hmm. paid. We have contractors. Or we have people who, you know, uh, do that for a living and they, you know, go from church to church or whatever. But when I was growing up, I mean, you might have had a little bit of that, but you got to remember, I'm 47, so we're talking the yeah. 70s, you know, <laughs> 80s. And to me, what that served in for me was it was like the blacktop basketball. Church was like blacktop basketball to the NBA. Wow, this is where you learn how to cross over, learn how yeah. to get, you learn to get dunked on, you learn to, to dunk <laughs> on people, you know, you learn how to be tough. And uh, we didn't have set lists. We had devotional service. Wow. So it was literally someone stand up in the middle of the service and just start singing. You, you're on the organ or keyboard, yep. and someone would just pop up, and it's like there were two facilitators. You know, I don't know if y'all know nothing about that, but they would stand up and they say, well, at this time, we want to open it up for a testimony service. Oh, if you have oh. a testimony, you share it, but there's these are the rules. If you're going to sing, don't testify. If you're going to testify, don't sing. Because some people would try to do both and they would take all day. (laughs) So, like, we'd be in church all night. Yeah, yeah. So, you would get up and some folks would testify. Other people would sing. But they had no, they didn't know what key they were going to sing in. So, they just start singing. What kind of church (laughs) is this? And we'd have to catch it by bar five. Man. So, in the right key. So some guys would go, and we all go, okay, he's hey A flat, you know, whatever. But my dad hated that. He hated guys going up and down because he would be on piano or on organ and he had relative pitch. So he knew how to find it real quick and then just jump in. So I learned a whole lot just being in church, you know, like the muscle of being prophetic and spontaneous, you know, being able to catch stuff on the fly and it served me in ways that I can't not even measure right now. Right, Yeah. right, right. So that's a long way of saying I'm from Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) At what age did you start playing again? So I was playing drums at like 10. Okay. And then bass at 13, and then at 15 and a half, 16, I started playing keys. Keys, okay. So drums, first instrument. Yeah, that was my first instrument. Oh, man. Yeah, I love playing drums. I still do sessions from time to time. In fact, if you've heard the Motown Christmas album, Uh I play drums on that record. Did you learn how to read at a young age as well, or was that something you developed? Later it on. came way later, man. Yeah, the pedigree was not a part of my upbringing because in my church, it was everything was ear and rote. Yeah. You know, gospel is primarily rote. So we would listen to albums, and you just have to pick it out and figure it out. Yeah. And so the ear training was first. And then the, the sight reading just came in here over the last 10 years, really, uh, because there was no need for it. You know, when you're in this industry, most of what you're doing is people like you for what you do. Yeah. So I don't need, I don't need to read if I'm creating it. I can that's hire good. somebody to write it. Yeah, you know? so, that's good. That's so it came good. a lot later, but yeah. thank God it came because it's, it's helpful out here in L.A. Yeah, because you might not work if you don't know how to yeah. read. Yeah,
0: that's good. That's good. That's You've good. been exposed to some of the biggest gospel names in the world. Yes. How did that
1: opportunity come about? Man, I have to say it was providence, or you know, just it was out of my control. My dad was a is, was a profound musician in that small church, and uh, so he got a chance to travel a lot. And when he would travel he would encounter groups so my dad had experiences with like the hawkins family the legendary hawkins family and they actually wanted him to go on the road with them this was when he was younger and he had me i was young i was a baby and he made a decision to not go to work to stay home not go on the road to stay home and raise his family and uh so as a result he put this great choir and that choir would travel and they would encounter other large groups so then being a minister of music, he would bring those groups to our little church, this tiny church mm. that barely held 150 200 people. And so, the very first uh, one of the first out of town engagements for commissioned was at my at my church <coughs> in Ohio, outside Detroit, because they're from Detroit. So, yeah. anyway, um, by meeting Fred uh, Hammond that way, I was a kid in the church. You know, I, I was, wasn't even I wasn't old enough to travel or do anything, but I met him then. So that relationship just Kept fostering, and yeah. and then before you knew it, I knew Fred, and I got on the road with Fred. Met Yolanda Adams in Detroit for with Young Arts for Christ, so I got a chance to work with her. And it's just like, before you knew it, the little organization that I was a part of yeah. was also connected to the PAW, and they had these massive conventions. And if you were talented and gifted, you would get a chance to play. Mm. And so I was able to play, and when you get on that platform, then you get to meet other people. I met Hezekiah Walker and all those yeah. those big people in gospel in those those seasons. So my life is just, it really reads like Forrest Gump. Because one of my godmothers, and when I tell these stories, it almost sounds too good to be true. Too, it sounds fictitious. One of my godmothers um, was a radio person in, okay. in my little town. And so they had bandwidth all the way to Cleveland. But acts that were playing in Cleveland would be able to play in my town because it was far enough away from Cleveland that they didn't draw from their crowd. So on their way to Detroit, they would stop at... In our city and do concerts right there, make a little check, and then go on up to Detroit. Yeah. And so I got to meet a lot of people that way. And um, then when the Gospel Music Workshop of America conventions uh, were going on, I would go with certain groups that I was with. And because my aunt was a part of the Gospel Announcers Guild, she'd be there. Oh, my godmother. She'd be there. She's introducing me to all the big wigs and all the mm. artists and everything. Man. So it's, it literally was unfair how yeah. God set me up for this. You know what I all mean? All the opportunities you Oh, my got. gosh. it's unfair. It's yeah. unrealistic, too. So when people say, I want to do what you do, I'm like, you had to literally have been born in my house, go to my church, <laughs> get my whippings. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you had to, to literally live my life to have that happen because it's totally like, you can't plan that. Yeah. Yeah, You can't plan
0: that One of my favorite intros I don't know if you Arranged it or not But this is uh, I, I don't even know What year this is it's, I think it's uh, Fred playing Like a Ken Smith uh, Yeah, yeah Ken Smith yeah. Ken Smith And it's Let the Praise Begin intro And it's with Marvin McQuitty It's Darius Fanchers oh, And it's yeah, like One of my yeah, favorite yeah, yeah. It's like It's a 6-8 intro Yeah, yeah, yeah How yeah, did yeah. you guys Come up with that?
1: Because it's like one of the widely known intros for <laughs> a gospel song. Yeah, 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 yeah. so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, me and Noel and Fred and the band were sitting in the room. And I've always done that. kind. Of, that's my favorite. Like, intros have always been a thing yeah. that I like to do. And so I was like, man, we should do a crazy intro, you know. And let's do it out of time. You know, like crazy meters and everything. So I just started messing around. And, and I think Noel helped me write it. And then Fred came in. Yeah. And, and all that crazy stuff, it's just like, it happened organically. And uh, yeah, that that just happened in a row. There was no score, no chart. That it was, was crazy, man. We wrote it piece by piece by piece yeah, by piece. That's one of my favorite intro,
0: especially what Marvin does. Marvin's one of, oh, yeah, man, his sound, his placement, his <laughs> phrasing. Oh,
1: it's just so yeah, clean. Yeah. Well, just so was, clean. He was an animal, man. <laughs> he was an animal. And uh, you know he's one of my best friends. Wow. Marvin was truly like really one of my best friends. And when he left Detroit, he came to Texas. We brought him to Texas okay. from Detroit. And he lived there and he worked with us with Newbury out of out of uh Austin first and then Houston. Oh, okay. so yeah, like Marvin was like, we lived around the corner from one another. Our families are close. I still am in, in good relationship and close relationship with his wife and yeah. daughter. So, yeah. They were coming a good... with
0: a documentary
1: about Marvin, weren't they? Yeah, it's done. It's yeah. done already. Yeah, okay. it's a great doc. It's a great doc. You know how it is in the film world. If you're not like a big personality or somebody doesn't mm-hmm. fund it, it's hard to get traction. But it's done and it was done very well. You were talking a little bit right now about New Breed. How did you get connected with Israel? Well, that's a good segue because being with Fred on tour for the purpose by design and, and all that stuff, uh, he brought a guest guitarist out. And I was on keys as an additional aux player. So I'm, I used to play with Fred when he had his solo albums. I don't know if you even remember back in the day, he had an album called I Am Persuaded and all mm-hmm. that. And then uh, when he started his um, choir, RFC, there was a choir before RFC called Charles Wolfork and Covenant. Okay. And Charles Wolfork was my brother in law. And so, obviously, Fred and I knew one another, but I was producing Charles's records, and Benson Records hired Fred to produce that record. And so then Fred saw me not just as this little kid in a church in Ohio, but he saw me as an actual player, producer. And Charles Wolfhork and Covenant actually was the first iteration of what RFC became. Okay. So, like, all the hype choir with yeah. the hype shocks and stuff, <clears throat> we were doing that, you know, in Ohio. And I believe we influenced in a lot of ways what RFC became. Yeah. Because as he was producing our, uh, our, tour, our little choir out of Ohio, he was like, man, now we, could, we can add those elements. And, and it was the hugest uh, form of flattery to me that my hero, Fred, would use what we did. But out of that relationship, he called me back to come and go on tour. And when I was going on tour, he brought Israel out as a guest guitarist. Israel and I ended up sharing a room together on the road. And as we were, you know, in our rooms, after we would finish talking to our wives on the phone, either on the bus or in our hotel rooms, we would just vision cast because we knew Fred Hammond and RFC was something special, yeah. but it, could not, it wasn't scalable. It couldn't be duplicated unless you had another Fred Hammond. So the question was, what is missing in the industry that could be this good, but that didn't have to have a Fred Hammond to do it? What we found was just the philosophy of multi-ethnic music. Music that wasn't just black. Yeah. it wasn't just white it wasn't just Latino mm-hmm. it was all of it together right. it was like a, and not just those three but like if we found uh, Indian hip hop elements or if we found some Hebrew in elements or we found music from other places Malaysian drums how could we integrate that into worship and what would it sound like if Toto and Earth Wind in fire yeah, and Run DMC yeah. and David Foster and Quincy Jones all got on stage and did music for God so we'd have these like outlandish conversations of like what we think it would sound like and as a result, I mean after a while the tour shut down and Israel was like, yo, integrity wants me to do a record. Why don't we do that record we talked about? And I'm like, oh yeah, like the mashup record. He's like, yeah, man, let's just, let's just get all of our friends. So we call black people, white people, Hispanic people, yeah. people from, you know, Central America, people from parts of Africa, and we brought them all on one stage. And started doing music for Jesus that way. Yeah. And that's how the new breed Sound was birthed. And that's how we met on tour with Fred Hammond. So we owe Fred a great yeah. debt of gratitude yeah. just for connecting us. Yeah. What was the first album you guys did together? It was called New Season. New Actually, Season. no. Before New Season, we did Champions for Christ Records. Okay. Which was a, a movement a ministry to athletes that we were a part of. And we did like two or three albums for them. And then after that, we did the number Okay. So yeah, we, yeah, we've been together for a long time.
0: We had this conversation when, when we were first talking about doing the podcast. And I remember I was telling you that for me as a kid, we would play you guys' songs, Friend of God, Lord You Are Good, all these songs you yeah, guys put yeah. on New Season and Another Level. Again, I say Rejoice in church. Yeah. I felt like you guys cultivated a sound, mm. and which many worship leaders have tried To do to date, you know, there's BJ Putnam, uh, Ricardo Sanchez, you know, even some of the elevation cast and all Mm -hmm. these guys, they follow this sound. Did you guys know you were
1: creating a sound, or was it something that? Well, we did. We were intentional about the sound we created, and that we wanted it to be multi ethnic, and we wanted to be we wanted it to be multi generational, Mm -hmm. and we didn't want it to be um, boxed in uh, because we didn't believe that the that the Lord deserved a boxed in sound. And when you're dreaming and you have nothing to prove, although you're going for a sound, you're not thinking of who you're influencing because you don't even know you have influence. Mm. So it's hard to think in terms of influence when you don't have any. Um, we just knew we wanted to please God and we wanted to do what was in our hearts to do. And we had nothing to lose. Yeah. We got two young guys that are chilling married so we're not out here wilding out we just want to do music we just yeah. want to have fun yeah you know we weren't even thinking about money we weren't thinking about business it was just like man let's just make a sound we want to get on the platform and just literally kill and have fun yeah and meet everybody we were connected to a pastor michael pitts and bishop joseph garlington who both pastor multi-ethnic con- congregations and they were influences in our lives and our ministries so we knew that there was an audience for it. We just didn't know how big it was. Mm. So B.J. was also always a little brother of Israel's growing up as a kid. Um, Ricardo Sanchez and Israel let worship at a church together in Phoenix long before the new breed days. BJ was long before the Newbury days. The uh-huh. Elevation guys, were we've known them. We knew, we've knew we known that we've influenced them for many years. So, I mean, we're grateful for the influences, but a lot of them are truly organic relationships. Yeah. You know, when you hear BJ, people can say, oh, he's trying to be Israel, but he has a right to mm. because he's got a real relationships yeah, with Israel. Of course. It's not like he's just mooching and sound. <laughs> um, a lot of people have said William McDowell's sound sounds a lot like ours when, when it comes to like big bands and vocals. And a lot of his team, we were former members of Newbury, but William also, we've known since William was, I think, 20 or so, you know, we've known him for many years, so these are organic relationships, and we're just blessed that God, you know, let us have that influence.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you've won six Grammys to date, six Grammys to date, (laughs) Uh, what's the feeling like, let's talk
1: about your first one, what was it? Oh man, it was pure bliss, like, for real, Um, the first time I went to the Grammys, I did not win so, you know, you got I got acquainted with the with the process of losing, and mm-hmm. so I was able to redefine kind of what that meant, you know, that nomination was enough. So I was like, oh, okay, it's cool to be nominated. So the next year, I said, I'm not going, because obviously there's some politics I don't understand, and I won the next wow. year, and I didn't go. So I was like, <laughs> dang, come on. I had my tux the first year, I was all ready. The second year, I didn't go, and we win. So... The Lord got me together real quick it was like, man, don't, don't try to size it up. Just enjoy it. And to be nominated is enough. So for me to be have to, to have six is just really amazing. Yeah. And to have one as a songwriter, which is my favorite yeah. one. Because as a producer, you win on the merit of your work, but also somewhat on the popularity of the artist, right? Mm, right. Or the politics of the artist's name. And Israel has a very powerful name in the industry. And I'm blessed to be connected in that way. But as a songwriter, to win one on the merit truly of the pen, although there's politics that I believe sometimes involved because of name recognition, but to have been up against the people we were up against and to know that a song the Lord gave me in my little office, in my house, you know, that he birthed through his spirit in me, won a Grammy. That was... Man, that was truly special. Yeah. Yeah, I cried that night. Literally. Wow. I was wow. so grateful, man. And what was this song? It's called No Greater Love. No Greater Love. Smokey Norfolk. Nice. That's a big name yeah, too. Yeah, Smoky. it is a big name. Yeah. Smokey's big time. <laughs> yeah. But to win one with him, you know, as a songwriter was really cool. Yeah.
0: You wear many different hats. You're a producer, keyboard player, musician. You play drums. What's your favorite?
1: Man, it's like your kids, you know what I mean? Like, which child do you love the most? It's like, it depends on, uh, like today, the songwriter is my favorite. Okay. Yeah, because I realized how important the songs are. It used to be player when I was younger, because I used to love to play. And I uh, I used to just love to get on stage and see the immediate response of people. And then I got a little older and I loved producing Because I didn't love playing so much, but I realized, man, I could actually shape the whole sound. So I loved producing even though I was playing. Mm. And then I started loving producing and not playing because I can get more production done if I'm not tied to the keyboard. I can go between the vocals and the band and the horns and the strings and I can move around. Um, And now I'm a lot more active in songwriting. And I actually like that right now. Then this season as a 47-year-old man... (laughs) who just did the aging app on his phone. And I realized I'm going to look like an old crackhead from, <laughs> from Watts. <laughs> By the time I get 70, if that app is right, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I'm not looking like that. But uh, not this season now. I think the songwriter is is what I like. Yeah. I really enjoy that. Song. Okay. You pastor at a church here in California. I do. When did you step into that role? So I've been a preacher since I was 16. So in my little apostolic church, I used to preach and travel as a young evangelist, and you know back then my preaching style was: I'll read a scripture, I'll give you three points, and I'm gonna fuss at you, and then I'm gonna close, I'm gonna I'm hoop, at the head, you know, and then I'm gonna pray for people, lay hands on everybody. Yeah. But then um, I stepped away from that and started becoming more of a producer. And as a producer, I realized I was literally pastoring and shepherding records, mm-hmm. shepherding groups, shepherding artists. So I was a marketplace pastor in studios praying with artists, my wife and I teaming up to help folk. And then this passion got reignited in me about 10 years ago. That man, listen, there's something here. Yeah. God wants to, God wants to use not just what's in your hands, but what's in your head and what's in your mouth and in your spirit to help people. About 10 years ago, I began to reinvestigate that in my heart and uh I was an associate pastor out here where I was preaching every Sunday okay. uh, for about a year. And then the Lord told us, my wife and I, that we have to plant a church. So the church that we're serving at now is basically getting us ready for our church launch, which we believe will be in the next two years. Okay. So, yeah, it's, been, it's a beautiful thing.
0: You stepped into the role, you said, at 16, being mm-hmm. a preacher. You grew up in the Apostolic Church.
1: The Apostolic, right.
0: Yes, now that you find yourself at 47, doing these things, planting a church, and hopefully launching your own uh, in, you said, two years. Yes. Who are some of the people that you would hope would come to your church? What's that looking like? That's a like? very good question.
1: Um, we are, we want to help families. So, whatever that looks like. Because my wife and I have worked for a long time. We've been married 21 years. Congratulations, uh, that's 18. awesome. That's awesome. And we have three amazing children yeah. who are, are healthy so far. <laughs> so, but we have three amazing kids and we feel called to the creative community. So we lived in Houston. And when we lived in Houston, we felt this drive and this call to galvanize a creative group of people mm-hmm. around the gospel and, and help them and influence them to become successful, not just in their careers, but in life okay. outside their instrument. Cause I found that a lot of people that are extremely talented, they have high highs and low lows. So while they're on stage, they're like kicking it. I mean, they're singing great. Things are going great. Or while they're playing, it's it's wonderful. Yeah. But then they would come off the platform and they could not sustain the energy mm. that was on the platform, the feeling. And some of them hadn't cultivated a relationship with the Lord well enough to know that you can only get that in his presence. And you don't have to be in the presence of people mm. to have God's presence. That's, that's good. So we had to really, we, we feel a calling to teach people how to live above their gift and still be sons and daughters and find enough value and passion in being a son and daughter. Yeah. So that's one group uh, we feel called to people who are creatives that aren't necessarily stage creatives because I have long since argued that just because you're in the back of the building in a booth moving a board or console that has, elect, has buttons and sliders, mm-hmm. that's no different than the buttons and sliders on a motif. And if I'm on stage playing... And you're in the booth mixing, and what you're mixing doesn't sound good. I'm not going to sound good. That's good. So you're as much of a musician as I am. Yeah. Because they won't hear anything until it passes through your hands first. <laughs> so you got to be musical. Yeah. So that guy back there is a musician. The lighting guy is a, is a creative because they're shaping the way it feels visually. You know, the people that are running Pro Presenter on the screens got to yeah. be gifted and anointed. And when all of those things come into synergy and we're moving together in unity then it brings glory to God in that way. And I feel like we're called to minister to those people too, not just the luminaries, not just the visible people, but the people in the background. um, And teach the luminaries and even the background singers that are visible the power of invisibility. Hmm. Because it's not like, I'm sure this beautiful room that we're sitting in, it, it looks so great, but it was probably recently done. Because the paint looks fresh, yeah. the doors look new, the carpet looks new, everything about this—the the, the crown molding, the shutters, everything looks really fresh. Um, and if they ever decide to change the room, they could change the room, but the last thing they probably would need to change is the wires. Hmm. The wires are never seen, though. Nobody ever sees that. Yeah. You could change the fixture that everybody sees, but the wires will stay there. That's good. And so a lot of people feel like, oh, man, I want to be a fixture. I want people to see me. I want to be visible. I want to be whatever. I want to be viewed." I'm like, dude, yeah, you could be viewed until you're out of style, hmm. but guess what's going to be here forever? Yeah. Those, those wires. Yeah. So I've learned, even as a producer, like the value of being hidden, the value of not necessarily being on the front of the cover. But I'm able to really glorify God for a long time, even past artists' seasons. So some of my artists that I've worked with, their season of being visible has is starting to wane or they're in the sunset of their career. But I'm still able to continue to work because I feel like I'm a wire. Like, yeah, nobody, nobody knows who I am. They don't care as long as it sounds good, right? <laughs> I don't have to be cute. I don't have to show up at 6 a.m. and do interviews. As long as my music sounds right, then I'm, I have value. And so trying to teach people that it's not just about being seen, it's about being valuable hmm. and making sure that the power source, which yeah. is the Holy Spirit, That's is good. able to flow through me consistently because the only time you change the wires is if there's a short. Hmm. And sometimes our life will short out, and that's where you see people getting in trouble. So, you know, staying healthy, staying coded, staying covered in the presence of God. So, you know, I yeah. can go on and on. No, days. that's good. That's good. Preach, <laughs> but you know, That's literally what it is. And so those are the people we feel called to pastor um, and to help. So, man, yeah. keep us lifted, Doc. Yeah. Keep us lifted. Who are some of the folks today that
0: continue to inspire you?
1: My peers continue to inspire me. Um, Warren Campbell inspires me Hmm. every time we get together uh, because Warren is a pastor and he's a producer and he's a friend. And we sit and we talk about life. Um, Almost all of my friends are senior pastors, my real friends, like the guys I really hang out with. And And then I have a lot of really close brothers that you would never know that really inspired me because every day they go home, they put their time in with their families, and then they go out and they do what they're called to do. So uh, I'm inspired in this season by people who are really trying to make a difference. Yeah, not just in the world, but in their home. I think it was Mother Teresa that said, "If you want to change the world, start with your family." That's good. I had a friend who said, "If you want to start, if you want to change the world, start in your bedroom. Because hmm. if you can't bring order to the chaos in your bedroom, how are you going to bring order to the chaos outside your home?" Yeah. Look around you. If you can't manage this, then how do you think you can be able to manage lives? Yeah. You know, so I'm I'm just challenged by that now. It's like, look, I I respect people that are handling their business. Yeah. You know, and just really trying to do the things that God called them to do. Yeah. For real. <laughs> and produce good records. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Adam Blackstone inspires me. Oh, man. Yeah. Adam is my Incredible. little brother, man. And I love his work ethic. I love that Adam is unash- unapologetically a believer but he's able to shine in the dark places. Mm. And I feel like until you're, until you're able to be comfortable in who you are in God in uncomfortable places, you're not ready to leave. Because mm. Jesus was not of this world. He wasn't from here. Everything about this world was different than where he's from. He was a king there. He came here to serve. He washed feet here. He walked on gold there. He was the light there. They tried to snuff the light out here. So Jesus came here, and he was uniquely himself. He didn't. He didn't shame himself. He didn't dumb himself down. He didn't shrink back. He was fully comfortable in his skin, all the way up until even at the cross. Yeah. And so, Jesus is my primary example of that. And so I look at Adam and other friends of mine. Natural Johnny Nahara, inspires me. That's my little brother too. I remember Natural was part of New Breed for a long time. I don't yeah. know if you know that. I no, I didn't. I didn't. Know Natural that. used to he used to share my hotel room and watch me producing records. Wow. Till three in the morning, you know. As he wasn't even an MD, he's just a dope musician playing for. I think he had been playing for Usher. Buddy Strong, who's now with Dave Matthews Band, is another one of the guys that was with New for years. He's one of my mentees, and now he's Dave Matthews Band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's killing the game. Man, so those guys inspire me. Watching them is is an inspiration. Bro. Yeah. That's good. That's Teddy Gambling.
0: <laughs> Teddy's great, man. <laughs> Teddy's awesome. Teddy's an awesome, man,
1: <laughs> dude. He inspires me. And then he'll sit behind that kit and smash Uh-oh. you. Yeah. Like, oh my
0: yeah. God. Still, man. Still yeah, doing yeah. You still it. You ne- know. I make him. I make him sound like he's really old, but he's not. No, man. he's I mean, not. He's not. You're talking
1: to me. Uh, Nissan Stewart. Yeah. Inspires me, And We did a thing. I have a thing called Presence Night, LA, and we do these worship nights, mm. and we did one on Memorial Day. And it's been a long time since I played with Nissan. Man, that boy got on that kit behind me, dude. I was like, <laughs> for real, it was the least the least stress I've experienced with a drummer in a long time. I didn't even think about it. It was just like I was able to fully lead. I didn't have to look back one time. Wow, and he was on it. So yeah, I mean, I'm like a I'm a drummer fan. Dude. Oh yeah, I love good drummers. Yeah, I mean, you've worked with some of the best in the world, Calvin Rogers.
0: Calvin Mountain. Know?
1: yeah, you know? Chris Coleman, yeah. And a lot of people, you know, know Chris Coleman from the New Breed video. Of course. With the camera over here. You know, yeah, yeah. people thought we literally sped up the video because he was wow. moving so fast. It was yeah. like, did y'all speed that up? No, that no that's really that's crazy. the way he plays, man. He He's plays incredible. Like that. And he was in Atlanta. Uh, I met Chris at a Creflo Dollar conference, and that's how he became part of the New Breed because he was not doing a gig at the time, he was just playing at a church. And so I was like, "Hey man, come come try out for new breed." I brought him out, and man, I had no idea he would become the old, one of the world's greatest, best drummers. Yeah. You know, as far as tech, uh, technician. Yeah. So yeah, I've been blessed to work, play with some great drummers. <laughs> for real, I'm spoiled. I'm spoiled, Doc. <laughs> I'm sure you've had amazing
0: musical moments throughout your career. Can you name us some of those instances, as well as some of your least favorite ones? Where oh
1: yeah, definitely <laughs> <laughs> name the least favorite ones. Uh, one of my favorite musical moments was not a live moment; it was a studio moment. Um, anybody that knows me knows I'm a big Joel Sample fan, and uh, so I was in Houston, Texas. I had a studio there, and I got a phone call uh, that I was producing the Motown Christmas album. And I wanted to get India read to duet on our Gospel Christmas album with one of my artists. So I reached out to her camp and they said, she's doing her own Christmas record. She probably can't do it. I said, like, okay, cool. And, and they said, she's going to be in Houston. I'm like, I live in Houston. I'm like, you do? Can you help us find a studio? I'm like, yeah, I got a studio. You can use my studio. <laughs> so she's like, well, my producer's in Houston. I'll have them come by your studio. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I told the staff, hey, somebody's coming by the studio. I didn't know who it was. Standing in the lobby, they say... Uh, I get a call from the AR Rex right out. He's like, hey, man, it's Rex. I like, hey, Rex, what's up, man? He's like, uh, yeah, man, uh, Joe's there. Um, he, he'll, he'll be pulling up in the next few minutes, but they told me, I just want to let you know he's on his way. I'm like, Joe? Joe who? He's like, Joe Sample, she didn't tell you? Oh, I literally turned 18 shades lighter, <laughs> and then I turned purple, and then I turned red. Oh, man. I was like, oh, my God, Joe Sample's about to walk up in my studio. And so I met Joe and um that was a highlight. But the real highlight was when he when they decided to do the record there, they're setting up and sound, we're getting the lines and everything. And I just decided to start serving because that's my MO. I'm just serving them, helping. What do you need? You need water, you need this. One out. Getting tones right. Oh, that's too loud. Can you change that? You know, I'm not even engineering this session. I got my other engineer doing it, but I'm helping him with tone. Um, Joe's talking to India. I don't even know what they're talking about. But he says to her, he's like, where's the producer? Where, where's the producer? She's like, who? He said, the producer, the guy, he was just in here. And she's like, Aaron? He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Tell, tell him I need him. And So she's like, hey, Joe, I need you. So I go in there, and I'm like, okay, what do you need? Hey, I, I got I whatever. So I helped him do it. And I come back in the room. And then India's like, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. So she pulls me outside. She said, will you help me, help me with this record? I said, sure, yeah. I'm helping now. What are you talking about? She said, "No, I mean, will you help me?" I say, like, "What do you What do you say? <laughs> like I need you to spit it out. we like, playing. What is this Jeopardy? I got to guess the Audio Daily Double. What are we doing?" <coughs> so she's like, "Will you produce this record?" And I almost passed out. I was like, "I get to produce India Ari and Joe Sample." Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> let me pray about it. Yeah, yes, <laughs> Christmas music, Jesus song <laughs> with India Ari and Joe Sample. Yes. So yeah, that was a highlight for me, that was a highlight. Another highlight was being in South Africa, standing on the stage with the team that we had built for years, had had developed an integrity of sound that people trusted, and to be all the way across the world and sing songs, medleys of songs that we had written that we maybe didn't even know if these folks knew, only to find out they're singing them because they know them and to see the impact and the reach. Being in Jakarta, Indonesia on a stage, with people that barely speak english but then or they speak english well i shouldn't say they barely speak they speak it very well uh, in Jakarta. but people who aren't american they aren't black church folk but they are singing to the top of their lungs yeah um one of my least favorite moments was at madison square garden no at lorraine palace theater i was asked to play drums for this quartet group and i was a young drummer and i wasn't experienced in like Drumming because I was a keyboard player at the time. And I played at my church. I played drums at my church and I was really good. But they had a kit and they had sticks and they had snares and they had cymbals and they had hi hats. And you just show up and you find the sticks that aren't beat up, you know, the ones that got the least shred on them and you sit down and play. That's how I rolled, you know. So I did a rehearsal with this band and I'm like, okay, cool. And they're like, sound checks at four o'clock on Sunday. The gig's at six. I get there at four and we're like setting up and I'm like, Where's the snare? Where's the cymbal? <laughs> Where's the hi-hat? Where are the sticks? Oh, my gosh. And it's like festival style. So there's like oh, four man. other bands, and these bands were quartets. So like gospel quartet is like a competition. They ain't in there lifting the, the name of the Lord together to help each other. They're like, we trying to kill you, yeah, right? Yeah. And so I don't have any sticks. I don't even have a snare. So the drummer from the band that was coming behind us is like, I'll let you use my snare, but you got to get your own sticks. And he's laughing at me because I don't have any sticks. So I had to go up to the dressing room, grab some hangers. Like the wow. little cardboard yeah. things. Now, if you know anything about quartet music, it lives and dies off the groove. I mean, you gotta oh, hit it. Man. Like that that two and four is everything. Yeah. And I mean you gotta able, you gotta crash it out in the ends. So Two bars in, I'm trying not to break the cardboard. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, boom, <laughs> it sounds like a foot stomp. Like, there's no two and four. Man, and that thing starts breaking. The drummer's Aww. on the sideline, on the side laughing his head off at me. And it was like, I was so embarrassed. So one of the group members was looking back at me like, come on, come on, come on, what you doing? And he doesn't know I'm accommodating because I don't have sticks. He goes and tells the guy to give him the sticks, so they kicked me off the drums. And the guy from the group who can't even hardly play drums played the rest of the set.
0: Wow!
1: And they played one song and left the stage. They're supposed to do like four songs, but it was so bad. So that was one of my (laughs) least funny and horrible (laughs) moments. Yeah, it's like, man, I ain't even a drummer. I didn't even know you were supposed to bring your own sticks. Yeah, yeah. So I learned that day, man. Cardboard hangers don't work for (laughs) you. When you have opportunities to form
0: teams, musical teams. Uh, ministry teams, what are some of the things you look for in different individuals so that they can mesh what are what are some qualities you look for? Uh,
1: I have I think I try to look at guys that have worked well together or people that I think will work well together. so um, as far as drummers are concerned, it depends on the artist and the style that I'm going for. If it's a standard like gospel artist, I know there's about four or five guys I can call that can all handle it and so based on their schedules, and what they're doing i'll choose conversationally too i know certain drummers work well with certain bass players like there's an there's a don't be afraid of this phrase because i'm not new age but there's an energy that they feed off of on one another that i'm like okay he'll work well with Mm. him yeah um sometimes it it starts for me from the drums out like which drummer i'm picking will help inform which bass player because there's a thing that certain people do together, like Calvin and Daryl Freeman. That's just oh, man. That's like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, like you try to separate them, and you just got toast. <laughs> you ain't got no peanut butter. That ain't PBJ. You yeah. know what I mean? You just got toast. <laughs> and toast is cool, but that ain't PBJ. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So it ain't gonna stick together. You know? So that's kind of that informs it. I always start from the kit out, and I start from the song, like the song. So on a lot of albums that I do in the studio, I have multiple people. So I'll have different drummers based on the style of the song. Yeah. So I'll call this drummer for that, this drummer for that, um, and then based on who's playing drums and the song, I'll determine which bass player. Oh no, Tommy Sims look really cute with this guy, or this is a Daryl song, or this is a Maurice song, or this is a whoever song. You know. Yeah. So I'll pick it that way. Um, Jacob Lowry, you know, on the CCM stuff. Dan Needham and Jacob play well together. Lester Estelle, I'll have Lester on it's yeah. incredible. If, depending on who, you know, what the song is. It'll either be some key bass thing. I, I do a lot of the bass with Lester. So like, if you hear stuff that Lester's playing drums on, a lot of times I'm playing bass. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so, cause I, I not agree with him, yeah. but we don't always play together. So it'll be studio, he'll send me his tracks. Right. And I'll send him a key bass track. And then once he sends me his tracks, then I'll stack it up. Yeah. Get my Joel Smith on. Yeah. My fake, my fake my (laughs) poor man, Joel Smith.
0: (laughs) He was incredible too, man. Man, what a bass player and drummer. I mean, I think a lot of people didn't know he was a drummer as well. Like they just saw him on bass. I'm like, no. Drummer first, man. Yeah.
1: Oh man, Joel influenced all the people we love. Yeah. Like the Joel, I'll never forget. I was a kid. My dad was like, it's the same guy on the drums and the bass. I'm like, no, dad, he can't do it. It's humanly impossible. And I didn't know it was about studio overdubs. And that guy would play the drums live, and then they would take him in the studio, and he would replay the bass. Wow. Whoever man. played live, I'm like, I hope their ego's in check. Yeah. Hope they got paid, because they sure ain't getting no credit. <laughs> <laughs> Joel kicked them off. Man. Yeah, so I play bass on some stuff, too. That's yeah. really fun. I'm sure as a
0: leader, you've faced instances where some people that you met along the way were clashing.
1: Let's say, mm-hmm. let's put it in those instances, right? How do you deal with those personalities? I think um, I've always had a relational leadership component to myself that makes people feel comfortable and they trust me. You know, uh, I've been blessed with that. So I've been able to navigate difficult scenarios uh, through the help of God um, by getting people to trust me enough that they can walk through whatever this is and I'll create a space of safety so that neither party ends up injuring the other Mm. and both parties trust me to help lead it um that's one thing the other thing is I have a very decent knack uh when it comes to pairing up people personalities in fact my wife gets on me because I'm like a I'm like a matchmaker. I can always hook couples up too, you know, like people that I can't tell you how many people I've introduced to their wives for real. Wow. And vice versa, their husbands. Because God has given me a gift of building teams and putting teams together and the right kind of people. Um, I see the book Good to Great over there. And uh, Good to Great is is one of the books that helped me learn Uh, another book called uh, Five Temptations of a Team or Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm. But the concept of getting the right people on the bus. And then not just the right people on the bus, but the right people in the right seats on the bus. Mm. So you might have the right people on the bus, but who do you have paired up sitting next to each other on a bus? And that's a, that's a skill that I think if you can master that, yeah. then you'll be re- you can lead well. Yeah. Um, because the course and quality of your life and your projects will be determined by how well you handle things that you didn't see coming. How well you manage people, how well you manage teams. Zig Ziglar, John Maxwell—they do great jobs of teaching about organizational leadership and team leadership. Now, I'm not the best at it, but I've read enough about it where I know how to like kind of manage and navigate teams. Yeah. and yeah. my dad was such a great leader that I was able to watch him do it for so many years. Yeah, you know, with no trauma, no problems. So I kind of just picked it up by watching my dad. Yeah, you know, he's a G. Yeah. It's <laughs> so smooth. Before you know it, you think it's your idea. Yeah. You know what? That's what I, I knew I was supposed to Go sell all my stuff. And, you know. yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. That's good, man. That's good. I'm sure there's been times and moments as well where you've wanted to throw in the towel. Mm-hmm. How do you overcome those hurdles? Those, those moments of maybe defeat, fear, anxiety. How mm-hmm. do you overcome that?
1: Man, it's a... Um, you you wait you wake up every day and choose to put your feet one in front of the other. I have about forty verses of scripture that I can give you right now. But none of that matters if you don't put your if you don't move your feet. Because your faith is not in your feelings, your faith is in your feet. Mm. You don't always feel faith, but faith is not rooted in your feelings, right? right? So if you believe that you're supposed to be doing something. You can feel it all day. You can feel faith-filled. But if you don't move, that's not faith. If your faith is in your feet, mm-hmm. it's what you do. And so when you wake up in the morning, the Bible says that just will live by faith. The apostles, the disciples asked Jesus, what must we do to work the works of God? Your work is to believe on the one he sent. So if God tells, if God tells me I'm supposed to do something... Hmm there will be days where my feelings will lead and i am like, I don't feel like it. I can tell you in the last 48 to 72 hours, I have felt like, man, I ain't pastoring. I'm not planting no church. Heck no. <laughs> <laughs> and thank God heck comes out every time. And not the devil's words because you just feel overwhelmed, you know, And and that's a reality. But that tension of living between faith and feelings is germane to the human condition, which is why the Bible is rich with evidence and experiences and stories of people having to overcome their feelings in order to move forward. I don't feel married all the time. I don't feel like a producer all the time. It doesn't mean I'm not. Uh, I just wake up in the morning, slide into my studio, and do what I have to do. There's a great book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield.
0: Amazing
1: book. And what he talks about, instead of the art of war, it's the war of art. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with it, but he says creativity uh, doesn't strike per se all the time, consistently, but you can force yourself to be creative every day.
0: Yeah.
1: Even if you barely create anything. I don't know if you saw on Instagram, I did a uh, song challenge. Yeah, you didn't did. It? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, you're going to get in there and you're going to create something. <laughs> Even if it's a hook, just write it. You might not need it tomorrow and you don't have to finish. You can always reiterate. You can do another version of it later. Just vomit out what you feel. Just get it out of you. Like we get so bogged down in the perfection, and we edit on the fly that. And and then we do that with life. I'm going to be a pastor, I'm going to be a leader and then we're thinking I oh, will be preaching in front of thousands. And then when you can't even, you know, you can't even wake up and think biblically you're like, oh, I'm not gonna do it anymore. I was like, no, you gotta get up and you gotta get in that word and you gotta pray and believe God that He's gonna send the people to you that you're supposed to have. And but you gotta get yourself ready. So when I wanted to quit, uh, so I'll give you a good story and then I'll, I'll let you move on because I don't want to stay here too long. I know you got other questions, but <laughs> this is passionate to me because I am passionate about this because I know there's a lot of people that want to quit. I talk to them all the time. But in 2004, I was uh, on the top. Of the mountain with Israel, we were we done the Africa record and it was huge. Oh man, man. one of the best. Alive in yeah. South Africa, it's just oh my god. So we, like you know, I we could go anywhere we wanted to. We could we didn't we could invite ourselves anywhere and they'd be like yes, <laughs> yeah. you know, no matter who it was. So we were in that space and the Lord starts talking to me about producing um, because I have children at this time and I'm like man, I want to raise my kids. I don't mm-hmm. just want to be on the road and one of my friends who came out on the road. Uh, we had Israel and I had done some stuff alone, and then the team met us. And one of the team members came out there and said, I didn't know little Aaron was walking now. And I was like, you said, what? (laughs) Little Aaron is, what? I miss my son's first steps. Wow. That's when I knew. I was like, oh, no, big fella. I'm not (laughs) about to. No, no. No, no. I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a dad. I am going to be a dad. I am going to be a dad. My dad was a dad. And I know how I turned out. And I have friends whose fathers were around, but they were they were on their heels in the area of being around. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm gonna be a dad. My kids aren't gonna turn out like that. So I went to Israel and so said, man, I feel like, you know, I want to be a dad. I want to be home. I feel like the Lord's calling me to be a producer. You can imagine how that went. You know, best friends, traveling yeah. the world, building yeah. ministry together. I'm co-founder with him of this movement, and now I don't want to travel no more. Say, what's wrong with you? I said, well, man, let me just write with you and do the records. And you know, I just gotta build another life with my father. So he understood. But then I sat down in the reality of that and I looked at my wife and was like, oh my God, I just walked away from my job. (laughs) Like I was making a lot of money. Like, oh Lord, what am I gonna do now? Nobody is, I said these words, nobody's gonna call me to produce. Nobody even knows my name. I'll never, I'll never produce. My wife was like, I curse those words. Don't you say that. Don't put that out there because words are spirit in life. And she was right. I said, I'll take it back. I said, I just don't. I believe. I need the Lord to help my unbelief. And had I made the decision to believe the lie mm-hmm. and went with my feelings and never got my feet involved, I'd probably be still sitting in that couch in Kingwood, Texas right now trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah, you know. But thanks be to God that I have a great wife who inspired me and good friends who believed in me. And, you know, people who had already observed my ability to produce based on those records and a good friend in Israel who still allowed me to be a part of the ministry that we built together and continue to produce with him. So what I would tell anybody that's struggling with their belief, and I said all those stories to say, you will have days where you feel really good about yourself, days you feel really bad about it. But if you allow how life is treating you to determine what you do and how you feel, then you'll be doing good when life's doing you good and doing mm. bad when life's doing you right. bad. Right. And then the music will sound like it. Because when you feel bad, the music sounds bad. Mm. When you feel good, the music sounds good. And you got to learn how to mitigate your feelings and not filter what you do to how you feel. And just accept that life comes with good and bad, but I'm going to choose to yeah. trust and believe God no matter what's going on. And even in the context, because a lot of times we, we, I'll say it in a biblical context or spiritual context, but even in a business context, there will be days where you can afford to do anything in your business, and days where you can't even hardly afford to fill up your own tank of gas. Those things don't not, they don't they don't stop. But you can't allow the current moment to dictate. Don't misdiagnose your entire thing based on the current season you're in. Yeah. Like your business may may just be in a slump. Every business has those cycles. It's like a sine wave. You got times where you're up and times you're down. But momentum is in, if you've ever driven down the hill or ridden a bike, when you're coming down that hill, you can get, if you decide that you want to hit them brakes, you can. But guess what? You're going to have to pedal like crazy to get back up that next hill because it's coming. Yeah. And so when you feel that nice, beautiful thing, you better start pedaling hard on the way down. When that money starts to, when you see the, the bank account starting to like, slow down, pedal, baby. Do <laughs> yeah. as much as you can so that you can come out of that thing and get back up again. So that's good. That's my encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. That's great, man. That's awesome advice right Thank there. Thank you, man.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about priorities. Some people have told me it's God- family, and then the church or businesses, whatever. How do you prioritize? How's that structure for you?
1: God, me. Because if I'm not healthy, my marriage ain't healthy. My children are healthy. My business is not healthy. How I serve my church is not healthy. So it's God and then God pours into me. And then that relationship is healthy. And out of that relationship, as a kingdom man, I believe and God pours into me and, he, and I get an alignment. And as a kingdom man, I am a man on earth, operating under God's rule, using his authority to get his things done on the earth. And that goes to my marriage. So now it's my wife. Hmm. So it's God and me, now me and my covenant partner for life. And then my children and my family, because God before God created the church, he created the family, right. the very first institution. And so after my family, then is the other things that flow out of us, our church, family, our extemporaneous relationships, our extended family, um, and, and, and my music. So because music is so spiritual, whether you believe in Jesus or Buddha or whatever you believe in, music is spiritual. And it is the outflow of who you are. I always tell musicians, playing is talking. So if you couldn't talk and tell me how you feel, you could play and tell me how you feel. I could tell if you was happy, sad, <laughs> joyful, whatever, by what you play. So if you're not, if you're not healthy, your music's not going to be healthy, especially mm-hmm. in our context. So that's my priority thing. And then uh, the other aspect of priority is where you put your time. So that's how I prioritize categorically, and that's the, the empirical structure. But beyond the empirical structure, it's like, where do you put your time? Because time is your money. I mean, your, your time is your life, and so uh, and time is money, because how you how you prioritize affects yeah. how much money you can make, right? Uh, but I prioritize this way. My wife and I have come to terms with the fact that I'll probably never find balance, and that's a big thing because I get that from you. How do you find balance? How do you find balance? I probably never will, because when we talk about balance, if you think about scales, that's equal on each side, right? That's balance. But most people don't live. Most life is not like that. Life rarely gets like that. I don't know about you. Do you <laughs> seem to be able to have? Eat? <laughs> no, it don't work like that for yeah. me. I mean, it may. But what I find most often is it's like this for a while. I'm work, 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 work. No family time, and then no work, no work, no work, no work, no work. Mm. Tons of family time. Then church, 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 and they need this thing done. And then I my out my uh, artist needs this. I mean, I'm like my scales are like all yeah. over the place. So I was yeah. like, you know what? Babe, we got to look at this thing differently. And my pastor, Scott Jones in Texas, told me this. He said, stop thinking about balance and think about rhythm. And when he said rhythm, I was like, oh, I can understand rhythm. I'm a musician. Rhythm is different. Rhythm says, I just need to be in step. I need to be in cadence. And where I am, I need to be fully there. And then when I'm not there, when I'm at home, I need to be fully there. And life really is more like rhythm than balance, um, because I can never achieve balance. And so my wife understands that if I'm in the studio, I gotta be there. But when I'm not in the studio, I have to make myself turn that off and be home. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I was talking to you, I was like man, at this writing session, I gotta get home, yeah, doc. Yeah, yeah. You know. And I'm not saying that to rush. I'm just saying like when I get home, I turn my phone off and I'm gonna be fully engaged with my children. Yeah. When I go watch my son play basketball, I try to turn my phone off so I can just focus on him. Right. You know, so to me, that's rhythm and they've come to accept that. Uh, And they also know if I don't go to work, just like Jesus said, the comforter can't come. (laughs) And they like it when the comforter's there. You want comfort? You better let daddy go. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I think in terms of rhythm and it's difficult uh, for spouses sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, of musicians to understand that concept. But it becomes easier if, when you're not on and you're at home, if you're giving priority to that and giving deference to your spouse and deference to your family, then they begin to understand it and they receive it differently than if you're at home and you still got one foot in the gig and the other foot at home. Sometimes you – and there are um, unavoidables. There's seasons where I'm working with certain high-profile artists and I have to give them that time, and my family understands it. And, you know, at this point, it it took a while to get there, but we got there. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I prioritize. But then even with that, the priority is still me and God, like I'm healthy. So then when I deal with my wife, I'm talking to her. So she's got a problem with it, then I'm able to say, baby, I'll I'll do whatever you need me to do. But that comes because I've already aligned myself with God and his agenda, which is to keep this covenant straight and I can go on and on all day. No,
0: that's good. That's good, man. (laughs) When I say the word value, what comes to mind for you? Prioritizing.
1: Uh, Because whatever you value, you prioritize. Um, my core values are things that I have to live by. Those are those are my principles. So when I hear value, I'm like, oh, my core values. You know, God, uh, timeliness, the power of invisibility, the power of people, power of relationship, the power of um, connections. You know, uh, the power of of, uh, of teams. You know, so those are, like, values that I, that I have yeah. a part of me. So that's what that's what I think about when I hear about that. That's cool. That's yeah. cool with me, man. And a discount. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to spend too much. It was a good value for me. <laughs> it was a good value.
0: Aaron, as we're wrapping up, I wanted to ask you, what are some last words of advice that you would have for anybody that's going to watch this, going to hear this? What's some things you'd like to say to them as we wrap up?
1: I would tell them to... Trust trust what's inside of them more than what they see. Um, don't live by exterior influences, and don't let other people's pace of life make you misdiagnose where you are. Mm. There is a such thing as late bloomers. Late bloomers. Just because you bloom later than someone else doesn't mean you don't have value. The Chinese bamboo plant takes years to grow. But it could grow 90, is it 90 something feet in Mm -hmm. a short amount of time. So the question becomes, did it grow 90 something feet in a short amount of time or did it grow 90 feet over those years? And I say it grew that tall over those years because if at any point the person that planted it stopped watering it, it would have never made it to the point of growth. It would have never broke through the ground. So I would encourage them to water the seed even though they don't see it breaking through the ground. That's good. One of the principles in church that we, and in, even in life and in business, we talk about a seed, you know, plant seeds, You got plant seed, plant seed, plant seed, but a seed will die on the ground if you start watering it. We don't talk a lot about watering your seed, and you water it with positive words, speaking over it, speaking the word of God over it, speaking healthy over yourself, speaking healthy over your destiny. If God is for you, don't be against yourself. Mm. How in the world can mm. you expect to to see anything happen for yourself if you are your primary if you are your primary negative source of information wow self talk is more influential than anything else cuz you're with you all the time nobody talks to you more than you do and if you're talking bad about yourself then you're your own worst enemy But if you can align your words with what God has said about you or what you believe about yourself or what other people who know God that pray for you have said about yourself, said about you, and you can align your words with that and continue to water that seed, don't worry about how late it blooms. It may not even bloom the way you thought it was going to bloom. But either way, you'll see the harvest of years of seed. And I know a lot of people get upset when I present that option that it may not grow 90 feet. It may be a four foot. But that's reality. Yeah. Because not every person is going to make it to the Grammy stage. Right. I didn't think I was going to make it. I didn't know I could make it. I didn't care. Honestly, I really, I never even saw that as an option for myself. I talked to my wife, man, we've married her 21 years. And I found out last year that she thought she at some point was going to win a Grammy. She didn't even do music. But she was like, one day I'm going to win a Grammy. For what? You don't even sing, you know? So I'm like, how <laughs> you going to win a Grammy? But she believed it. So a lot of people believe a lot of stuff. Yeah, I never even believed it. I just did it. I did. Yeah. I did music. I love it. Yeah. I used to tell people, "You're, I'm, I'm playing for free. You're just paying me to get here. Yeah, <laughs> to bring my gear. I would do this for free. Yeah. I love it. And that was my attitude. And when I was bad, and I felt bad, I had encouragers around me. My mom would encourage me. She would tell me. You're going to be great. My dad would tell me, you're going to be great. I have friends who would tell me, you're going to be great. Stop being so hard on yourself. Uh, the, the other thing I would tell people is to really check your surroundings, because you will be the sum total of the books you read and the people you meet. You'll mm-hmm. be the same person in the next ten, 10 years. The only difference is who you meet and what you read. Books will mm-hmm. influence you and people will influence you. That's good. You, right? And yeah. the, the Word of God, information, psychology books, healthy stuff that help you understand who you are, especially your identity in Christ, but also understanding the business that you're in, being sharp about that, those, those will change who you are. Yeah. And so um, those are my two encouragements. Check your surroundings, check what you're reading, what you're ingesting, what you're taking in. If you can binge Netflix, if you can watch hmm. Game of Thrones, <laughs> you can spend all that, which I do. If you can do, spend all that time doing those things, then you can find a way to write some songs. And get some productions done, and get some valuable things yeah. accomplished. And maybe they don't make it on the top of the charts, but there will be a record in the earth that you existed. That's good. You were here. Yeah. And if you sit on your gift and the thing that God gave you, and you're sticking your face and your finger in the face of God, saying you you messed up, you picked mm-hmm. wrong, you didn't make me right, you didn't you didn't give me enough. So we got to store what we have. So. Those would be the things that I would tell them, like, man, just trust and believe that God has a plan for your life. Before he knew you, he He knew who you were going to be and what you were going to do for him. And he has a divine strategy that is laid out before you even got here. That's good. And if you walk in his truth, not your own truth. And a lot of times our, our passion will try to drive God's timeline but our with our timeline. But our timeline doesn't influence God's timing. Yeah. God has a timing for everything. And just because you want to know, who are you? When did you, where were you when I created the world? You gotta hear him talking to, you know, <laughs> yeah. to to the to, to, to the prophet saying, who where were you when I created, you know, we we think we know, but God knows best. And a lot of times the reason things are delayed is because we're not ready for it yet. We think we are, but he knows more about us than we do about ourselves. Yeah. So that's good. Be patient, man, and yeah. trust the Lord. So Aaron you know, Lindsey, I can go all day on that. <laughs> I'm an encourager, man. No, it's great, man. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you, Aaron. I really
0: appreciate it, man. Appreciate I know you, you, you came man. out
1: from far to do this, so nah, thank man. you so much. When I saw that hair at the wedding. I was like, I gotta do it, man. He's anointed. Look at that. Look at that hair. I'm jealous. I ain't mad up here. I got more hair on my chest than on my head. Jesus. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Aaron Lindsey, thank
0: you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. This is episode 17 with Aaron Lindsey man Bless incredible us. thank you so much thank man. you man all right appreciate it welcome back thank you for checking out episode number 17 with aaron Lindsay. have a great week